Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Again, welcome, everybody. We are talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want us to run back to the Old Testament. We're going to go to the book of First Kings. I'm going to tell you a little story, and then we're going to jump right in to how God uses the Spirit of God to lead us, to guide us, to bring victory into our life. But uh, the the ten, Israel has been divided. Two tribes stayed with the house of David, but ten tribes have separated. And those ten tribes now have as their king a man named Ahab. And his wife's name is Jezebel. Now, she was uh, a, a fervent worshiper of a false deity named Baal. And she was just all out. In fact, the Bible says that no one sold themselves to do wickedness like Ahab because his wife, Jezebel, encouraged him. Now, how many of you know that who you marry makes a big difference? And somebody said, well, I'm the head. Yeah, but she's the neck and she turns you. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, 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 you the, the, the person that you marry, it makes a big difference. They said the reason that there was nobody as wicked as Ahab was because of his wife. So they're worshiping Baal. And God sends a man, a prophet by the name of Elijah and says, Elijah, go and talk to Ahab and tell him there will be no rain and there will be no dew on the earth until you say so. So he goes and tells the king and the king's like, "Ah," you know, writes him off. But next week, there's no rain, there's no dew. There's no rain, there's no dew for months and months and then years. And he realizes this guy, he's the real deal. In the meantime, God has sent the prophet to hide by the brook cherub. And the Bible says that every morning and every evening that God would send him a Big Mac. Well, it says bread and meat. Doesn't that sound like Big Mac? The only thing they needed was ketchup. They didn't have any. So every day he's being fed, but the brook dries up. And then God says, now go to Seraphath. Dwell inside in a different nation, actually. And he says, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, if, if you've done much studying demographically, it's amazing how much wealth is in the hands of widows. Rich widows, there's a lots of them. So I'm got, how many of you read this? You're like, God's got one of them over there, one of those rich widow ladies. Well, he gets there. And sure enough, there's a widow, the Bible says, and she's out gathering some sticks. And he says to her, hey, please uh, bring me a little drink of water. And as she's going, he says, and, 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 and a little morsel to eat. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I only have a little bit of flour in the bottom of a bin and a little oil in the bottom of a cruise. And I'm going to make a little cake for my son and a little cake for myself. And we are going to eat them and we are going to die. How many know this is the wrong widow? I mean, she's like, she is right at the bottom of the barrel, ready to go. She said, we're going to eat this and we're going to die. And this is what the prophet said. He said, go and do just like you said. He said, make me a little cake first and fear not. Fear not. The number one reason that we don't give is because we're afraid. We're afraid we won't have enough. I I don't need it now, but what happens if? 
And I got to be ready for every rainy day that could possibly come. And it's fear that keeps us from giving. And so the first thing he says to her, he says, fear not. You go and you go and make me a little cake first and bring it here. How many of you know the news media could go crazy on this one? I've right, got a poor widow and you want to take part of her last meal. But he said, because this is what the Lord says. You bring that cake first and that cruise of oil will keep on pouring. And every time you put your hand in that bin of flour, there's going to be more until this famine is over. Well, she does, and they eat for years and years. But finally, the day comes, God says to the prophet, go and show yourself to Ahab, the king. And you tell him, it's time for a contest. Bring all your false prophets, bring them to Mount Carmel, and let them make an altar, and I'll make an altar. Well, he's put a sacrifice on the altar, and the God that answers by fire, he's God. King says, that sounds good. So he gathers the false prophets. He brings all Israel together. The false prophets, they put their feet, their, their animal on that altar and they begin calling on, the, on Baal and they're cutting themselves and they're dancing and they're crying out. And Elijah, I guess he just decided he'd had enough because he said, well, hey, cry louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. And some of your, and literally it's there. Some of your translations say, maybe he's using the restroom. <laughs> Keep going. Nothing happens. Finally, he prays. Fire falls from heaven. The people shout, the Lord's God. They all fall down. They worship. He climbs up on the top of Mount Carmel. This is where it's happening. And every time we go to Israel, we go to this place. I love this place. And he starts to pray. And finally, out of the sea, his servant sees a cloud like a man's hand coming out of the sea. And he says to the king, he said, hurry up and get to town because the rain is coming. Sure enough, begins to blow, gets black. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's rain. The spirit of the Lord comes on the prophet. And the Bible says he outran the king's chariot. 18 miles he outran the king's chariot. And in the meantime, Jezebel hears all the prophets are dead, false prophets. And she sends word to him. And she says, by this time tomorrow, he said, you are going to be dead. And the Bible says, when he saw that, when he saw, he, he photoshopped himself into her picture. He sees himself getting his head cut off. And he turns and he runs for three days and goes and hides out in the desert and missed God's plan and God's purpose of revival. Now listen, you will always move in the direction of your dominant thoughts. When he began to think about what's going to happen, the queen's coming after me, she's going to kill me, if she's going to take my head, she's going to take my life. When he began to think about that, instantly he turned and moved in a different direction. He went away from the direction he was going. Now, that's why the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every thought and every imagination 
that rises up against the knowledge of God. Everything that's contrary to God's word, God's spirit, God's plan for your life, you need to take those things captive. You need to reject those thoughts. Spiritual warfare is not some crazy thing. It's something that takes place in your mind. How many of you know all your troubles are between your ears? It's our thoughts that get us in trouble. And we move in the direction of that dominant thought. Well, he finally, he's out there in the desert and he comes to the mountain. And the Bible says, God said, go out and stand before the Lord. And behold, the Lord will pass by. And there was a great wind and it tore the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. We are looking for something spectacular. We're, lo we're looking for the thunder and the lightning and the fire and the wind and the earth to shake and an angel to appear and say, I'm Gabriel. We're looking for something spectacular. But most of the time when God moves, it is the still, small voice. We're looking for something to shake us. You know, August the 27th, 1883, ranchers in Alice Springs, Australia, heard what sounded like gunshots. And the mysterious sound was heard in over 50 different locations around the globe. In fact, it covered one thirteenth of the globe. What they heard was a volcano erupting in an Indonesian island 2,233 miles away. It is the largest sound that has ever been measured. It was 310 decibels. They tell us that it circumvented the earth four times. It produced a tidal wave over 3,000 feet high. It threw large rocks 34 miles and cracked one foot thick concrete 300 miles away. That's a lot of noise. You know, your blood pressure actually changes at just 110 decibels. At 141 decibels, you become nauseous. At 145 decibels, your vision is blurred because the pupils in your eyes are starting to dance. At 195 decibels, your eardrums rupture and people actually die at 202 decibels. And we're looking for something loud. You know, the loudest noise on earth is a sperm whale. Did you know that? 200 decibels. They tell us that another well can hear a sperm well 10,000 miles away as the water conducts that noise. A jet engine's only 150 decibels at its loudest, an air horn 129. No, but a whisper is 15 decibels. 15. You can barely hear it if you're trying to listen to it. And when God shows up, he doesn't show up with a shout, with an earthquake, with a fire. He shows up with a still, small voice. And we've got to be listening. In John chapter 12, 
Jesus prays and said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I'll glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by said, it thundered. And others said, I think an angel spoke to him. And Jesus said, this voice did not become, come because of me, but for your sake. In other words, God was speaking to the people. But what did they hear? They said, I, I think it was thunder. Uh, maybe an angel said something. But they did not pick up on what was being said. Now, when Solomon was young and became king, God comes to him in the night and he has a dream. And God says to him in the dream, ask whatever you will. And this is what he said. The Bible says, first Kings chapter three, your servant is among your people whom you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. Give your servant an understanding mind and a hearing heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge and rule this great people of yours. What do you ask for? An understanding mind and a hearing heart. You said, I thought he asked for wisdom. Yeah, he asked for a hearing heart because there is nothing that will communicate the wisdom of God to you more than you're being able to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Somebody said, well, I'm just reading my Bible. You know what? Your Bible is dead because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's when the Spirit of God quickens that word on the inside of you. And Solomon had the wisdom to ask for a hearing heart. And each one of us, we need to be ready. We need to be listening for the Spirit of God because the voice that he's going to speak to you in will probably not be loud. It will probably be that whisper, that still, small voice. Now, in John 16, verse 14, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, He will glorify me, for he will take of mine, and he will declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is always glorifying, lifting up Jesus. Not a person, not a group, not even, I would say, a denomination. Paul in Acts 20 says this, Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things, drawing disciples after themselves. Drawing disciples after themselves. I think it's interesting that when you look at Mormonism, They've got a guy named Joseph, yeah, yeah, Joseph Smith, who they follow. You look at the Jehovah's Witnesses, and it's Charles Russell. They, they, you've got to have their revelation. You've got to follow them in order to be included. But the Bible says what the Spirit of God is going to do, he's going to lift up and he's going to glorify Jesus. Now, through the 19, late, late 1950s and 1960s, there was an evangelist by the name of William Branham. He would, anybody would say he was at the forefront of the healing ministry, the, the evangelistic ministry. Marilyn Hickey, how many of you remember Marilyn? It's come many times. I, I had her share some of her stories with, with our staff before. And she talks about when she went to see William Branham. She and her husband, Wally, were unable to become pregnant. And they had traveled from Denver, and I think it was to Dallas where they went. And as she came up before him, before she even got there, he said, you're not from here, you're from Denver. 
He said, and the reason you've come is because the doctors have told you that it's impossible for you to become pregnant. And she's standing there and she said, right in front of her was a wheel in the middle of a wheel. If you ever read the book of Ezekiel, you'll hear about the wheel. She said, in the middle of the wheel. She said, I could hear it going around. She said, shoo, shoo, shoo. He's talking to me and the wheel is just going around. Shoo, shoo, shoo. She said, I thought if I step into that, I'm going to die. And he's telling her what to do. She says, I want you to go back to Denver. He said, and receive your miracle. That's the baby. That's her daughter, Sarah, by the way. And she said, when he said that, instantly she said, that wheel came into my feet. She says, I just went over backwards. Now, Lester Summerall, who pastored for many years down here in South Bend, Indiana, was one of our mentors. He came and spoke at this church probably a dozen different times. He told when he first had William Branham come to speak, it, he, he rented a facility. He said, and he, he preached a great message and then said, I'm going to do a, a line. I'm going to minister to people. And he said, there was a line that went up along the wall and went out the back door. The very first person in the line was a woman. He said, and she, she came and she didn't even get up to him. And he says, uh, you're not here for yourself. She said, you're here for your husband. He said, uh, do you want to know what he's doing? And she says, well, yeah, yeah. She said, uh, you know his red-haired secretary? He's in a hotel right now having sex with her. And uh, don't be concerned. He'll be dead in less than six months. And he never prayed for her. He just passed her by. Now, Lester said to me, he said, uh, I got her name, I got her number, I checked up. He dropped dead several months later, before the six months was up. He said, but the interesting thing to me was, he said, when he did that, over 80% of the people in the line all left. How many of you know it was not a good day for Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the Holy Spirit? So, so that was William Branham. Uh, he, was, he was so powerfully used of God that people began to say to him, uh, you're Elijah. The Bible says that Elijah is going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. You're Elijah. And then they said to him, you know, you, you, you are the, you're the seventh angel in the book of Revelation. That's who you are. And uh, he began to buy into it. Kenneth Hagin wrote down a prophecy that he gave to uh, Gordon Lindsay. I want to just read a little part of it. He said, at the end of 65, he who now stands in the forefront of the healing ministry as a prophet will be taken out of the way. He'll make a false step and Satan will destroy his life. But his spirit will be saved and his works will follow him. Ere 66 shall come, he shall be gone. Uh, I think it was December 26, he was hit head on by a drunk driver. And in a matter of two days, stepped into eternity. Now, that was all bad. However, today, there are still people that believe he's going to be raised from the dead and that he's Elijah, that he's the seventh angel in the book of Revelation. There are churches today, this morning, that are playing tapes of his sermons. And that he's the, he's the great, he's the great one. He's coming. How many know that's not lifting up Jesus? Uh, in fact, we've got a, a couple pictures right here of uh, the cemetery where he's buried. This is the, uh, the part of the, the headstone. It's a huge headstone. Talks there about he's Elijah. John, excuse me, John the Baptist. He's coming in the, the spirit and the power of, of Elijah. He's John the Baptist on the other side. Um, it talks about 
the seven angels of the church, and this is where, how they, they put them together, and Branham is the last angel. How many of you know that is not lifting up Jesus? You see, it's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about a group. It's not about a denomination. The Holy Spirit will always lift up and glorify Jesus, not a person. Romans 8.14 says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So God's intention is for the Spirit of God to lead you and I in our daily life. Not just in some huge thing, but in our daily life. In Romans 8 and 16, it says, for the Spirit himself, remember the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he, he has a personality. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So when you get saved, the devil is constantly trying to condemn you, but the Spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit. You're saved, you're right with God, you're on your way to heaven, you're a part of the kingdom of God. Now in Colossians 2 and 6, it says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So being the Spirit of God bearing witness with our spirit is something that happens when we get saved. But it doesn't stop happening. He keeps on bearing witness with our spirit. He keeps on impressing us. I took a, a quote out of a book that I, I read some time ago, and I thought this was the best example of this that I know of. It talks about Brother and Sister Goodwin, who pastored in Texas during the, the uh, Second World War. And they had gone to bed, and while they're laying in bed, Brother Goodwin, he falls asleep, but his wife, she gets this burden to pray. And she's praying, she's praying in tongues, and she begins to cry, and, and she wakes her husband up. And at first he thought that, you know, that she was sick, and he says, what's wrong? And she says, I've got this burden. She says, I, I think that somebody in our church, that their life is in danger. I don't know who it is, I don't know what it is, but I, I just feel like their, their, their life is in, in danger. And it was summertime and they had some people that were on vacation in the church. And so they prayed about that and uh, claimed protection. And uh, he went back to sleep. And she tried to go to sleep and that burden came back on her and woke him up the next time. And they prayed. And he went back to sleep. But she couldn't get to sleep and that burden came back on her and woke him up the third time. And the third time he just said, well, let's just get out of bed. Let's go and pray. So they're praying together. And finally, he said to her, he said, uh, let's just pray in agreement that the Lord will give the person, whoever it is, a dream or a vision. You know, a dream if they're sleeping, a vision if they're awake, and show them the danger. And they agreed in prayer. And uh, she got peace. And it's 4 o'clock in the morning. And they finally go to bed. They're woken up by a knock on the door. And it's the Sunday school superintendent. And he has a story to tell. He said that morning he showed up at work. And the foreman said, look, the normal guy, Bill, who works the top of this oil rig, he's not here. So I want you to go up and work the top of the rig. He started, started to climb up and he came back down. And he said, no, he says, I'm not going to do that. He said this morning, he said at four o'clock, I woke up after having a dream. 
And in my dream, I came to work. And Bill did not come to work. And you asked me to climb up there and work the top of that oil rig. He said, but in my dream, that cable broke and cut my head off. He said, I'm not going up. Another guy was there and said, Shh, I don't believe any of that superstitious stuff. He climbed up. Ten minutes later, the cable broke and cut his head off. Holy Spirit can keep you alive. Holy Spirit can protect you. See, the, the Bible, Jesus said he is your helper. He's your helper. Now, now, the problem is that so often we want him to do everything. But he's not going to do everything. He's our helper. Right? He comes alongside us and helps us. Now, Romans 8, 26 says, likewise, the spirit also helps our weakness. Though we don't know how to pray as we should. But the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, or as P.C. Nelson said, cannot be uttered with articulate speech. Now, the Holy Spirit, when, he, when, when Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know, we tend to think that we're living a good Christian life if we don't have any problems. We tend, we, we tend to think, man, I, I, everything's going just perfect, so I must be in the will of God. Let me tell you something. Paul could not do that. When Paul showed up in town, Paul did not check in to the Holiday Inn or the Amway Grand. He checked out the prison. Because before long, that was where he's going to end up. Now, we tend to think, that because we're being led by the Spirit of the Lord, we won't have any confrontation in our life. But let me just say, the Spirit of God is not afraid of the devil, the world, or the flesh. And he's going to lead us into confrontation. He's going to lead us into, listen, into a fight. Paul said it this way. He said, fight the good fight of faith. So literally, Christianity is a fight. From the womb to the tomb. Until you, from the moment you start, until you graduate to heaven, Christianity is a fight. Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force, or force their way into it. So, so the idea of I'm a Christian, and I'm just going to sit under this cherry tree, and, you know, I got a bucket, and it's just going to fill up with ripe cherries. That's crazy. The Bible says that you are going to have to contend for the faith, that you're going to have to fight the good fight. If we look at the Old Testament, which is full of types and shadows, the children of Israel leave Egypt. That's the world. They go through the Red Sea. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, they're baptized under Moses in the sea under the cloud, water baptism, spirit baptism. They come to the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, listen, there are seven nations more powerful than they are. There are giants and there are walled cities and they need to go in and dispossess the enemy. 115 times they breach the walls or the gates of an enemy and take possession of what God had said was theirs. Now listen, the promised land is not a type of heaven because how many of you know when you go to heaven, you're not going to have your enemies in heaven. But the promised land is a type of a victorious Christian life. 
And if you're going to live a victorious Christian life, if I'm going to live a victorious Christian life, there are going to be battles that we're going to fight. But here's the good news. By the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he always leads us in triumph in Christ. For every battle we face, the Holy Spirit, when we rely upon him, listen to him, will lead us in victory, in triumph, in Christ. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.